Good, good morning to you folks. I'm glad to be up here talking to you guys about um, another heresy. Uh, it's always a fun thing to talk about, heresies. Yeah, a fun thing to think about. Uh, the heresy that I'm going to be talking about today happens to fall in the top ten. Actually, he would be considered like within the top five. Arianism is um, a very serious heresy. Uh, probably, you could probably say any heresy is a serious one. But this is actually one that we still deal with even today. I would like to start off by looking at the definition again. Just to review for those of you that have been here, some of you may be new, as to what the definition of a heresy is. It's a bad idea, really bad idea, or a false teaching that undercuts the gospel, that undercuts the good news of Christ coming for salvation. So it does away with all of that. Um, so anyway, the, the one that I'm doing today is on Thor, uh, the Thor heresy. And um, the, uh, the true name of it is Arianism. So there's Thor. So tell me, and you're going to have to shout it loud, who's his father? Odin. Thank you. Very good. Who's the ruler of? Asgard, right. He was born to Odin. His mother is? Gaia is what I... Um, not what I read, um, who's the earth goddess. Um, he is a god, a god, lowercase g, because he's the son of Odin. He has incredible strength due to his hammer named, thank you, Mjolnir, um, or however you pronounce it. And he can fly, he can change weather, specifically with lightning and storms. So um, he's a pretty awesome dude. Uh, he, Odin decided he needed to teach Thor a lesson in humility by sending him to Earth uh, as Donald Blake as a medical student, and he had no idea that he was um, a son of Odin as guardian, and uh, so he eventually figures that all out. But because in the end, several times, thank goodness, he saves the Earth. He's one of the original Avengers. Um, all right, so Todd Miles has written this great book where this whole study is based off of. And if you want just a nice, simple taste, a, skim, a good skimming with a little bit of extra depth to it of heresies, I highly recommend this book. It's not intimidating. He's really quite funny throughout the whole book and is obviously a superhero geek like many folks are. Um, so Todd Miles, he says this, but for all of Thor's greatness, he is neither omnipotent nor omniscient. He's incredible, but not preeminent. He is the son of the creator of earth, Odin, but because he was born, there was a time when Thor did not exist. He is a god, but he is not the god. And that's what we're going to be getting into. So this is a Thor heresy truly called Arianism, and this heresy has been around for many, many years. Actually, more than 2,000 years, believe it or not. Much like people see Thor as a lesser god than Odin, some people will view Jesus as a lesser god than God the Father. Odin, Thor, God, Jesus. They put them in that same kind of order. It comes from, Arianism comes from the man Arius, 
who was a uh, man from Alexandria. He's the guy on the top right. Uh, he was in Alexandria, Egypt in the years 256, and he died in 336. Um, and so he was a member of the Bishop of Alexandria, whose name was Alexander, and the Bishop Alexander, this position as Bishop was second uh, as in leadership within the church, the early, early church, second to Rome. So it's a pretty powerful position. Arius had his eyes on this position. He thought he was going to be next in line. He was an elder within the church. So not being necessarily as God-fearing, God-honoring as Alexander, he has his eyes set on that. But Alexander ends up taking a new protege, Athanasius, as his underling and trains him, and Athanasius becomes bishop of Alexandria in his place. Arius gets mad. So what would any worldly, self-seeking person do when they don't get their way? They're going to throw a temper tantrum. They're going to stir the pot. They're going to cause controversy. They might even start their own movement, cause division, whatever they can do. And that's exactly what he does. So he begins to talk about the Trinity. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about modalism. Modalism came about in the 100s before this time. They got this taken care of. Okay, this is what we believe about the Trinity. But then Arius brings it all up again, and he says, okay, so here's how I'm going to define the Trinity. This is who Jesus is. This is who he really is. And so his proposal is that God brought the Son into existence by creating him. Before that time, the Son did not exist. And if the Son didn't exist, then that means the Holy Spirit didn't exist either. Odin Four. And then he doesn't deny that Jesus is God. He's just not creator God. So here's what Todd Miles says that Arius believed. The Son was the first created being. There we go. Thanks. The Son was the first created being. After creating the Son, the Father used the Son to create everything else. The Father also sent the Son to be born as a human at Bethlehem. So, the Father is eternal, but the Son is not. Make no mistake about it. According to Arius, the Father was superior to the Son. The Son was inferior to the Father. God is God, and Son, the Son is a God, greater than any human, but not quite so great as God the Father. So where did he get these ideas? If you remember, those of you that may have been here when I talked last, of the importance of looking at Scripture within Scripture as the whole. You can't just take an isolated verse, pick out what you want, and make it say what you want. That's heresy. That's how we get heresies. And that's exactly what he does. You've got to look within the whole of the chapter. You've got to look within the whole of the book, and then as the whole of Scripture itself. And what Arius does is he isolates just a few verses, twists it, 
make it to say what he wants. And there's a few that I'm going to mention, and we'll talk about them in a second. The first is Colossians 1.15. And this one is where he says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, there's the key words. Another was, is within John, John 1, verse, chapters 1 through 3. And if you think of John 3.16 in the King James Version, as we, many of us would know, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And so he uses those words to pull out and say, ah, oh, look, Jesus is created. Jesus is created. And he uses to explain the Trinity. This made things simple to explain, but yet it was not accurate. It was not biblical by any stretch of the means. The Son did not exist beforehand, and he is inferior to the Father. Now, this becomes... Um, in the time of history, this becomes very, very uh, controversial. If you remember in early history, ancient history, the, the early church, after the disciples have all passed away, and we have the beginnings of the church history, many, there was a lot of persecution within the Roman Empire. And by the time Constantine comes around, he has an edict, the Edict of Milan in 313, that says it is no longer um, illegal to be a Christian. So peace comes throughout the Roman Empire. And the church flourishes. I mean, it just explodes because of the time of peace. Which is why you have Alexander down in Alexandria, Egypt, having a position that's so powerful. It's not just back in Rome. So the church as a whole has just grown exponentially. Constantine, whether or not he truly was a believer, sees Christianity as potentially the glue that can hold his empire together. And with this Arianism coming up, he sees that it is dividing. It was this serious, dividing his empire, and he had to do something about it. So... He invites over 300 bishops to come to Nicaea. Doesn't that sound like a great idea, to invite 300 men to come and talk, and we're just going to hash this out? I don't think so. But anyway, they did. They did. So he wants to keep the unity of the, the empire. And in 325, this is when the Nicaean um, meeting happened. So the 300 get together. To end this quarrel, they're going to decide, what does the church believe? We've already taken care of modalism. Now we have this thing coming up of who is Jesus? Where is he in all of this? And we'll see specifically what they say in just a minute. But it comes down to the wording. This is what's interesting. It comes down to the very wording of who Jesus is. Is he the same nature? This is what Alexander was saying. Or is he of similar nature? That's what Arius is saying. The Greek of it is homoousius, of same nature, and similar nature is homoousius. Notice, it's one letter. The Greek letter, iota. It mattered one iota. That's where that term comes from, if you ever heard the saying. It mattered one iota of this controversy one letter. In fact, the church has been criticized that for the fourth century, one letter just about split the whole church. One letter. But as you can see, it makes a huge difference in the definition. Um, just a, 
a funny example of that. So there was a time I was texting Kevin about a shirt that Philip had. And he asked me something about his shirt, and I said, no, Philip does not have his shirt with him. And I left out one letter in shirt. It made a difference. And I saw it afterwards, and I went, oh, no, he left his shirt at home, and it left it out again. Oh. Autocorrect, right? One letter can make a big difference, and I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience, right? Right? Yeah. So, even though that one letter can make a difference there, the meaning has a huge difference too, similar or same. You and I, if we, we can, I think you would agree with me that we have a similar nature to monkeys. We stand upright. We both have facial features. We're mammals. We have opposable thumbs. We could go on and on. Maybe some of you like bananas. I don't know. Something like that. But we're similar. But you would not say that we're the same, right? Not at all the same. We are very different. We are very, very different. Again, it comes down to the wording. One iota makes all the difference here. Is God, is Jesus similar or is he same? The bishops, the majority of the bishops, actually triumphed at the end of the day, thankfully. They triumphed in deciding that Jesus is the same nature of God. Now, after all of this happened and they wrote the Nicene Creed, Arius was exiled, but just for a short time. I mean, this fourth century, it was such a mess within the church as a whole. really was, and that's a whole nother crazy history lesson right there. But I want to talk then about who makes this, er- this error today. You're like, well, that's 2,000 years old. But no, you and I actually can slip into this ever so slightly. When we might think, oh, can Jesus handle this? Or do I need to be talking to the Father? Wait, G- Jesus is great, but God's really greater. And right there, we've slipped into for heresy, Arianism, by making Jesus lesser than, not equal to, and of greater power. Now, the ones that do it to modern day time frame, those that do it today, modern Arianists, are Jehovah's Witness. And a Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness, they'll tell you that they believe in Jesus and that Jesus is the Son of God. They'll tell you that. And that he should be worshipped. They'll tell you that as well. But they're also going to be very quick to tell you that he was created by the Father and that he is a God, but not the God. Arius all over. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible tell us about this? Um, Again, Arius did what all good heretics do, taking scripture out of context. Actually, if you think about it, if anybody adds or subtracts to anything of the gospel, it's going to be a heresy. If you add to it, it's Jesus plus you have to do this, it's going to be a heresy. If it's Jesus subtracting this out of the gospel, out of the Trinity, it's going to be a heresy. So always think about that. If anybody is adding or subtracting from the gospel, it's going to be a heresy. So he twists the, the, uh, the scriptures. So let's look back at a couple of the verses 
and at what they specifically say. John 1.14 is the one that I'm going to have you look at here. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he zeroes in on that word begotten. Now, beget in the Old English is where a father um, begets a son, a, a uh, child, through conception. So this is what he's seeing. Well, then God beget Jesus. He brought him into existence. So this is very much a misunderstanding of the Greek. Now, at this time, in the early church, the Bible is written in Latin. They have translated it from the Greek. They've translated it into Latin. And so that's what they're looking at. They have erroneously translated the Greek, and the Greek word really should be better translated unique or special. The, the unique status, one of a kind, rather than begotten than begotten. So these verses here in John, John chapter 1, again in John chapter 3, they are not referring to Jesus being a descendant, coming from from the Father as a descendant, but rather his unique status as the Son of God. The Nicene Creed, here's what they wrote. They worked really, really hard at talking against these words that um, Arius was using of begetting. They worked really hard at, at, at denouncing this. And they said, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, homoousian with the Father. Very, very clear on what they're saying here. Yes, they use those words begotten, but boy, they want to make sure that you say, or that you get the idea, hey, he's not made. He is God of God. The second verse that is very widely used by Arians as well as Jehovah's Witness today is Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation firstborn. You look at that and you just take firstborn out. You're going to go, aha, see, he is born. And he's the firstborn of everybody above creation. Therefore, at one time he did not exist. Once upon a time there was no Jesus. Not until Bethlehem. No, that's not what it says. So if you recall what I'd said in a previous lesson, you have to look within the context of the whole chapter, within the context of the book. And so what we do, actually, in this one, we have to look within the whole of the New Testament. Where is this Greek word that's used for firstborn used again? And it's actually used in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12. And it's translated, this is talking about where Esau sold his birthright. Same Greek word, same Greek word. But what is Esau selling? He's not selling his essence. He's not selling who he is. He's selling his rights, his privileges as a firstborn. And that's exactly what Colossians is talking about here. When Paul is writing this, he's saying Jesus 
has the privileges of the firstborn over all creation. Over all creation. Now, all of this you may go, so what? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if you're at least saying that he's God? I mean, he can do a lot of amazing things. What difference does it really make in the end? It makes a huge difference. You really have to throw out the gospel. Because there is no gospel apart from Christ. There's three things that I chose to pinpoint as to what I feel like are real important, but there's many, many more. But these are the, what I thought were some of the top three. First one being the atonement. The atonement is at stake. If you remember in Old Testament times, when the, when the Jews and the Israelites were making atonement for their sins, it was using sacrificial animals. They atoned for their sins. They bought time. It, 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 it put, made them right before God for a while until a greater sacrifice came, which is Jesus. So if you say that Jesus is not fully God and he's created, then he's no better than a creator, a creation, sorry. Um, he can't bear the full wrath of God. He can't because he's not fully God. No creature, no creature, no matter how great, no matter how powerful, no matter how wonderful, no matter how beautiful, can really save us. So the atonement is at stake here. Justification, justification by faith is at stake. In fact, it's dead. To be justified is to be made right before the judge. God justifies us before him because of the blood of Christ. And we, do, we accept that through faith. Well, what's the point? If Jesus is not fully God, and he's a created being, then how can he pay for it? How can he fully justify you and I? He's no better than some of the animals that were sacrificed in Old Testament times. Justification by faith is dead. And the last one is worship and praise. If Jesus isn't fully God, then should we worship him? Should we pray to him? God is the only one who is deserving of worship. We know that. And God is the only one who is omniscient enough to hear and has the ability to be able to answer all prayers. So then why, if Jesus is a created, is a lesser God or is just a created being, why would we pray and worship him? Isn't that idolatry? Yeah, that would be. That would be idolatry. Yet, in the New Testament, we are commanded to worship him. We are commanded to to pray to him. You can't have both. You can't have both of them. Like I said, these are just a few of the so what's. Every iota matters. It matters. And I want to challenge you guys to not just think, go, okay, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. Know what you know and why you believe it. This is not the last time you're going to ever hear about this. You will hear about it throughout your life. You're going to hear about these different heresies. They'll, they're going to pop up 
maybe not every day, but they're going to pop up again, and you're going to bump up against these things. Know what you know and why. Why do you believe this about God? Why do you believe this about the Trinity? Eternity, for you, is on the line. This isn't worth messing around with, as well as eternity for those that believe falsely is on the line. Todd Miles wraps it up this way. He says, you and I have a friend in the highest places imaginable. I suppose that Thor, like Jesus of the Arians, is powerful, but he does not compare to the actual living Jesus, to whom the Bible testifies. If you have a friend in Jesus, you have a friend who is not just a God. He is the God, to whom belongs all strength, blessing, honor, and glory. Thor can't save you, but Jesus can. There are questions for you to do at your table, and um, thank you again for letting me talk to you.